Hello, sisters. It's Kirsten Kirschbaum here with my best friend, Danielle. Hi, everybody. We are, as always, super grateful to be able to share our testimonies of the Restored Gospel with you. And I feel, I was just telling Danielle, so fired up because I have a renewed testimony of the truthfulness of the restoration of the gospel and so much understanding and appreciation for those who have gone before us, who have laid a foundation for us. And I, I think it's so, it's interesting. There's so many ways that I could start this, but I, I want to talk about time and how like our comprehension of our own time, our own life, you know, I mean, try to remember like 10, 20 years ago, you know, there's just a few things that you can remember really well, right? And if you were a, a scrapbook, a scrapbooker, you know, you can go back and look through your scrapbooks. Or if you guys made uh, family home videos, you can go back and look through your family home videos, right? But to keep a record of things and to have them still be clear, you know, it, it, like I think, I, you know, if you asked my mom and my siblings and I, you know, what was Christmas 1989 like, you know what I mean? Like we, we may all remember it differently. I'm going to remember that, right. I'm going to remember yeah. that my, my brother hit me in the head with a shoe and he's going to remember that. I, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. I actually was just looking at my Instagram last night. It's funny that you mentioned this and, and I was looking, I think it was a year. No, I was looking actually two years ago because two years ago this month that we're recording this podcast right now. I had my surgery that um, really kind of changed a lot of things in my life and a lot of things in my future. And I was looking, I hadn't remembered that, but other than I was looking at my Instagram and I was looking at that story and I was, I, I didn't remember all these little details that I had written, the emotions I was going through when I was going in for the MRI and the emotion I was going to after I saw the, you know, the specialist and then I was, and then I wrote the day I was going into surgery and, and when I woke up from surgery and I just, I read all of those posts of what I did share and there were things I had forgotten even then, but I also just seeing like what I did share, it actually gave me a, an appreciation for me and what I went through and just, just a deep love for myself. I was like, wow. I mean, I, you know, cause you're just going through, you're just going through the motions. I'm just doing my best. And then I go back now reading it and I'm like, I'm like, Danielle, you're awesome. You did so good. Proud of you, girl. <laughs> That's what I felt. But you know, so it's, wow. you're right. Like memory. I didn't, it's like, it's nice to reflect on, wow, I did some, go through something hard. And I'm glad I recorded what I was going through and how I was coping with it because it makes you realize like, Hey, how, how you're just doing your best and to just acknowledge and love that. I thought it was cool. So when you're saying that you're right, it's history and remembering and detailing stuff. And thank goodness we have been, always been encouraged to have journals and Instagram's my new journal. Just kidding. <laughs> right. It, it is a, a form of expression and reflection. Wow. Two years. Holy moly. That's amazing. I did not realize that. Thank you for sharing that. That is so true. I love that you were able to look back on yourself with so much love and appreciation and just like encouragement. It makes me think about what we're doing now, right? And, and how we should always feel encouraged about what we're going through and always look at each moment with love, right? Not just two years later, but you know, like even gives me a sense of like, well, what am I going through now that in two years from now, I'll be like, yeah, Kirsten, like you go girl, <laughs> like, you know, all of that. And each of you have that same thing and that same encouragement. So 
as it relates to what I've been studying lately that I'm so excited to share with you um, at conference, during general conference uh, last week, I was reminded there was a commercial or, or a, something that came on that was talking about the book uh, put out by the church based on all of the journal entries of pretty much all the saints. It's called the saints for a reason, right? And it's the saints who lived. Uh, it's Joseph Smith's journals. It's his mother. It's his, I don't know who else, all of his, you know, people who knew him, uh, members of the church, you know, bishops and stake presidents and apostles and all the people who experienced the restoration of the gospel. And I started listening to it um, about a year ago, I think when it first came out. And I, I don't remember what chapter I got to, but I stopped listening. It's super long. It's like 43 chapters or something. And anyway, I, I didn't finish it. But then at conference, they said, hey, Saints Volume 2 is out. And I'm like, well, geez, I'm really far behind now. Like, oh, wow, I really want to know this. I want all of this information to be in my brain. I want to read or listen to the journals of those who experienced this firsthand. And in the mouth of two or three witnesses is the truth, right? And so there's so many witnesses that have been brought together to remind us of the truthfulness and just the stark reality of what actually happened. I think, you know, just like what you said, Daniel, it was a great example. Like, you know, in your mind, you know, yeah, two years ago I had the surgery and it was a really big deal, but like life just keeps going on, you know, and there's like all these new things you're doing and all these really powerful present moment things that are wonderful and can also kind of like take away from like the richness or the, the strong remembrance of what did happen. And so as I decided to re-listen to the saints. I was like, I, I can't even start. I don't even know where I was. I'm going to start over. So I started back over. Now I'm on chapter 14. So in 14 chapters, you guys, I have witnessed again from the mouths of those who experienced this restoration, Joseph Smith, his family, his wife, um, you know, Martin Harris, Sidney Rigdon, Orson Pratt, like, I mean, just all of these people, the Knight family, the Morley family, like all of these people who were prepared and ready to receive the restoration of the gospel. And what's so, there's so many amazing things. Like, first of all, just the truthfulness of that is amazing. Secondly, what's really blowing my mind is that these are real people. Like, the, I mean, there's this moment where, you know, Joseph Smith is a, at this point, he's a 25 year old man and he's, you know, was given this task of like reorganizing, you know, the restoring the, the savior's church. And he's, he's a man, you know what I mean? And he's not even, and a lot of people criticized him. Like when he would receive revelations, um, through the, what is now known as the doctrine and covenants. Um, a lot of the men would criticize him because he didn't have like a good vocabulary. He's just a farm boy. I mean, most of the time he couldn't even go to school because he was just working and his family was very poor. And so people would criticize like his inability to articulate a revelation in like really eloquent terms. And so one day they had this like, they did this like challenge kind of a thing where like all the men got together and the one that was like, I don't remember his name, but it's in the book. Um, the one that was really, really smart and he had a really good vocabulary, he was a really good writer. 
they said, okay, well, take all day and try to write your own revelation from the Lord. Like, write it up. Go for it. Yeah, see what you can do, you know? And I don't think it was like a negative thing, but imagine these are just men. They're sitting around. They're not perfect. They're just like, okay, let's do this. Let's write some revelations, you know? And so they get together in this room. And this man who everyone agrees is like very eloquent in his speech, tries for hours to write a revelation. And at the end of the day or the end of the allotted time, everyone agreed, including him, that the revelations that came from Joseph Smith were from the Lord. And they all knew it because it wasn't like, it didn't have to be eloquent. It, it has a certain spirit because it's the voice of the Lord. And that's just one example of the truthfulness of the restoration and like how it came about. Um, I, have a, I have a thought on that actually. Cause I've, it's uh it's interesting when you try to like replicate something that you're like, oh, I don't know, is that really true? And, and, or is that, you know, or is that, it just seems so easy to us. And one the example I guess I'm giving, I'll just give it is, you know, the book of Mormon, for example, that being translated from a whole nother language and written in, you know, whatever amount of time was very short amount of time and published. I, when I served my mission in South America, I had this poem that I think it was the footprints poem. I don't know. It was some, some poem like that though, that I wanted to translate for somebody particular that was investigating the church and just thought that it went really well with what, you know, I was teaching them. So I decided to take this tiny poem and translate it from English into Spanish for them. I didn't have like Google to look it up, I guess. And so I do it from scratch. It took me hours and it still was so choppy. And I, it was very hard to like translate this poem into like what the real meaning and context was. And I remember that experience giving me a, a profound testimony that the Book of Mormon was all inspired and, you know, revelation from God that translating it was done through revelation because I was doing it and I was really fluent. I was actually really gifted with, um, gifted tongues and, and languages. I speak three languages and it's, um, I would say I'm a, you know, pretty good at it. And I, I, but it still was very hard. So it's interesting when you try to take the context, well, this is really the Lord's hand, but when you, and I'm not saying I wasn't doing it with the Lord's help, but it wasn't like I was translating with a Urim and Thummim. But when you're really trying to fabricate something that comes from a channel that is divine and celestial, it doesn't work like unless you're like, it really is from him. And it gave me a stronger testimony of the book of Mormon being translated. I was like, wow, uh, Joseph Smith, there's not, there's no way I don't, there's no possible way he could have done that or anybody else who he was even learned could have done that translation and made it what it is today. Absolutely. Yeah. So we were talking before we started recording and I need, I need you to remind me, I was really going into like something profound and you're like, wait, let's record. <laughs> so there's always an answer. There's always an answer. Yes. Thank you so much. So as I've been studying more into the saints and I actually went and saw this really amazing movie, um, it's called The Fighting Preacher. And it was so good. Like seriously, my kids all said it's the favorite movie they've ever seen in their lives. Um, and so I encourage you guys to go watch it. But it's it's all about um, Palmyra, New York, where the church was, you know, originally restored, where that that vision happened the first time. Um, eighty years later, though, so it's like Palmyra, New York, eighty years later, and the church um, wants to, you know, they have this 
revelation. They know that they're supposed to own the Hill Camorra and the Martin Harris's farm and just these different areas that I've actually visited now because the church owns it, which is wonderful. So they send a man and his wife. He's actually a world champion boxer who is also a member of the church <clears throat> and his newly wed wife back to Palmyra on a mission. And they are given the task to secure these lands for the church. And they are met with so much persecution. Like this is what Danielle and I were talking about, like 80 years later, like a whole you know generation or two really later, people are still so angry and so mean and just persecuting this cute little newlywed couple who just moved into town because of the faith that they have. It was just like so, and Danielle, you know, you mentioned some thoughts about that, right? Oh yeah. I was just thinking like, I mean, this is what you're saying is 1920. I just want to clarify and right. And that I haven't seen this movie yet. I would love to, but we don't have it here in San Diego yet. Um, but it, it sounds like for me, something that's built my testimony is when there's a lot of persecution, because if it is not, Satan doesn't put a lot of like, major effort into something that's not true. Like if some, what I'm trying to say is if something is truth, he's going to put so much animosity behind it. So much hatred. He's going to fight. If something's just like already like, you know, blah, whatever. It doesn't really, it's not truth. He's not going to put much energy there. It's all fought against what's truth. And I learned that just in my own, you know, personal life when I had to stand up for some things that were truth and how much persecution I got. I was like, I was like, wow. Maybe it actually gave me a testimony of that. What I received was true because I got, I was, I was met with so much persecution. So point being this family you're saying is there, I mean, this couple is there 80 years later and there's still so much hatred after generations. I mean, yeah, that tells you right there. It was, you know, Satan fighting against truth. Yeah. Absolutely. And so, um, more, you know, I, I could just keep going on and on. I just want to, I want to tell you guys everything, but I, a couple of the things that I, I noticed is that like, there's always an answer. So I remember when I, I was dating someone in college and, and his father was very anti-Mormon and, you know, that's the, that was the term then. Right. And, and, you know, so he was kind of somewhere in between and every once in a while we, we would get in these discussions about the church. And I, I was just like, I was not going to be swayed, you know? And, and even though I wasn't necessarily always living all the commandments and doing everything, I just, I'm like, you're not going to sway my testimony. So I'd prefer that you don't try, but he still tried. And I remember just vaguely a few things that he would bring up, like about Joseph Smith, you know, everything in the Book of Mormon was already, it was like printed in a newspaper. Like it wasn't even him. It was like, he got it from, you know, this newspaper, right? And I didn't really put that much thought into it. I was just kind of like, I know there's an answer and I don't want to get into this with you. Okay. It doesn't actually affect my testimony. I'm going to just keep being myself, having my relationship with the Lord. But, you know, 20 something years later, as I'm listening to the saints, I get the explanation of what he was talking about. I was like, oh, this is interesting. So in the, um, the press that they used to print the Book of Mormon was a man, his last name was Grandin. And so Grandin's press, uh, printing press, was being used to print these pages. And there was another man who had a newspaper that he used the same press to print his newspaper. And as he was sitting in this you know, press area, 
<laughs> the printing press shop, uh, he would take some of the pages of the Book of Mormon as it was being printed and he would then add it to his newspaper and then he would make fun of it and he would just try to like turn it into this ugly thing to try to, whatever, sell more newspapers, you know, create some story, whatever. And Joseph Smith was actually not in uh, the area at the time. So his associates, you know, maybe Martin Harris, who was probably there because he was the one that was paying for the printing of the Book of Mormon. Um, you know, they would try to get this man to stop and he wouldn't stop. And so eventually Joseph Smith comes in and like has to lay down, you know, he was like, you have to stop printing my book. I have, to, this is copywritten. You cannot do this. And the guy tries to fight him. And Joseph Smith is like, I'm not going to fight you, dude. Like, we're not going to fight over this. This is the law and you can't print my book. So eventually the guy stops. Okay. And, and I just want to point something out to you. Like, there's always two sides to every story. So if you had ever heard someone weave some big old story about how, oh yeah, Joseph Smith got the Book of Mormon from a newspaper, like the, or there was already a book written about it. Like, no, no, there actually wasn't. No, do you understand that this man didn't like aspire to, to be martyred, you know, eventually. He didn't aspire to have all of these things happen in his life. God chose him and his family to restore this truth to the earth. And Satan and all of his minions and all of these people who were misguided created so much and were, were used. You know what? And I don't even want to hate those people. I, I feel bad for them. I think they didn't understand. I think that now they probably do. Um, but there was so much opposition and there's one other story I want to tell you guys. So, um, as the saints were called West, they, they, um, ended up getting, uh, everybody's like starting to move West out of New York and they moved to Ohio and then they get to Ohio and then they're actually called to go to Missouri. And what I thought was so interesting about this is like, they don't know what's going to happen. So for us, as we look back on history and we read about it, we have all of this other understanding, but like Joseph Smith and his, you know, members of his church, they're just these people. I mean, 20, Joseph Smith's 25 years old. He's a 25 year old man with a wife who's pregnant with twins and they're traveling on a wagon to go and meet saints who live in Ohio. And in, you know, and, and when they get to Ohio, then Joseph Smith and a few other men go to Missouri and they go to Missouri and, and Joseph's looking at different land and they're thinking like, I mean, Missouri is the edge. I mean, as far as these people are concerned, it's the edge of the world. It's the edge of the United States. There is nothing left. Like there's no other territories beyond the United States of America doesn't even fully exist as it does now. You know, they didn't even have that understanding. Like California is non-existent. It's Mexico, you know, where you live right now, it's Mexico. And where I live right now is like, I mean, it's still a, a Polynesian island, but anyway. So they're thinking, wow, their knowledge of the Bible, of Zion, and of the Book of Mormon, now just this new revelation of the American Indians. They're like, wow, we're going to Missouri and we're going to preach to the Indians and we're going to build up Zion with the Indians and with people in Missouri and all of us. But, but they don't really know. You know what I mean? It's like they're just doing the best they can. And so he's just following the Lord and sometimes he falls out of favor with the Lord. And then he gets back into favor and he repents a lot. And there's people that are with him that are like, we don't like what you're doing, Joseph. We don't like it. We don't agree with you. We want to, we're going to have our own revelations now. 
I think I could go on and on. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. Listen to the saints or read the saints. But most importantly, understand that you, I mean, I think you belong to the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Probably why you're listening. Not everybody, you know, but that's what this pod, that's who this podcast is for, you guys, is to, is to stand as this reminder to all of us of what we really belong to. Like what is really going on here? It's actually not about a lot of the cultural things that we're talking about in church. Like we're just talking about the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the truthfulness of his covenants and his covenant people. And like, there's just some basics here that we need to be reminded of. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. It's such a powerful testimony to read their journal entries. And if we kind of started this talking about journal entries and remembering, you know, what we've gone through and also like, I love that you brought up, I mean, Joseph Smith was 25. Imagine if each of you had your life on display for good and evil to the entire world at age 25. I'd be really embarrassed (laughs) as much as I still, you know, I look back and I'm like, I know I was trying, I was doing my best for sure. But I mean, not perfect. Sometimes I look at somebody who's, you know, giving a talk or something at church or wherever, you know, speaking and, and you're kind of picking apart, like, well, I wouldn't do it that way. But then you're like, when you get up in these situations and you're nervous and things start just kind of natural habits take over and, you know, whatever you don't, um, give them the grace. And I think that's important to understand is when we're looking at the history or listening to maybe some false, uh, or maybe you don't know if it's false, but accusations against the church and just having the grace, that understanding of what these people were going through, the wilderness, literally, that they were in of new territory, literally new territory, let alone new gospel territory. I mean, it was just all so brand new. And they were definitely doing amazing. And when you look at, you know, all of the fruits, that's really the key. And it's not like, I love how we talked about in the middle, we kind of mentioned that there's always an answer. There is, even to some of the, the little T questions that you have, we've talked about this before. There's big truths, like is the Joseph Smith, a prophet, if he is, then the Book of Mormon is true and the gospel is restored. Is Christ the Savior? If he is, then the Bible has his truths. I mean, there's just so many like big, big T's that are big truths, right? And then you have these little T's. And so as you're looking at some of those little T's and you're just not really sure, I encourage you and for me as well, just to choose to have hope and faith and Find your testimony in the big truths, in the big T's, and allow the Lord to teach you, like why the women don't have the priesthood, maybe, whatever it is, whatever those little things that kind of irk you, remembering that the Lord has an answer, and irking is not from Him. And I'm not trying to say, cause I get irked too, but there's things that I just go, you know what? I'm just going to let that go. And I'll, you know, one of the things is I still, you know, why we talked about my surgery in this and two years ago, the surgery that I ended up having, they had to remove my female organs because of a cancerous tumor. So I lost the ability to have children when I had been hoping and hoping to have them. And I felt pretty down and pretty upset. And I also felt pretty, uh, just devastated because in, 
Okay. So I'll share a little something. Many years ago, I had a really strong impression of my children visiting me in the, in the temple. And it was just beautiful. And I knew I had children. And so I couldn't, when I had the surgery that took that ability away to have children, I was bewildered. I was like, I almost felt cheated. I felt like, why would you tease me like that? Like, and then knowing Lord that I would lose that ability yet you revealed unto me that I do have children. And I just was like, I was really upset about it all. And finally I came to the point where, you know what? I don't have the answer but I choose to have hope. And so that's what I'm saying for you guys as well. in your situations, it felt worse to sit and be angry and irked and confused. And so finally I just, I submitted to him and I said, all right, I trust you. I love you. And I have hope. I will still be a mother somehow, some way, someday. I don't have to have the answer right now. I don't, I might be translated and have my female organs restored. Awesome. Or I might just be adopt or I might in the millennium. I don't know. I don't have to know, but choosing hope into something, a truth that I feel strongly about that God loves me and he wouldn't deny me um, a righteous desire and blessing. I just choose to have hope in that. That feels, oh, it's just, it's light. It's, there's no, it's like my, all my burdens are removed. So I would like with anything that you're struggling with, whether it be what I'm talking about to children and marriage, which is something I haven't had. And I'm in my forties. So people are like, Oh, it'll come. You're still young. I'm like, yeah, I'm still young, but I'm in my forties. It's not like, <laughs> not like I'm 25 or 29. But anyway, point being, if it's something to do with the women in the priesthood, if it's something to do with, you know, anything cultural, I don't know. I don't want to, you know, bring up a whole bunch of stuff necessarily, but just to say, Decide to either choose to stay upset about it or give it to the Lord and choose hope. Hope that you'll have an answer. Hope that things will be made right for whatever it was for you that's you know, upsetting you. Just leave it in his hands and choose hope. When we surrender to hope, we surrender the, the what, the how. We're just saying, hey, I trust you. And I'm going to trust that you're going to piece by piece teach me. And keep me by your side, but teach me the answers. And he will not let something go unanswered. He just, he won't. But we can't control that outcome of when and how and what that answer looks like. That's beautiful. It's a beautiful reminder. I think it applies to really everything we've talked about today. I, I as you were saying things, you know, that you have questions about. Yeah, me too. I have questions about all kinds of things and I, I can get upset about it. And then I, I just think, you know, there's, there's, you get to choose the way you look at it. Right. And the Lord is just saying, you know, um, I believe it was, I don't know who said this elder Uchtdorf, maybe or elder Holland doubt your doubts before you doubt your faith. Right. And I remember that. And I think there's a lot of things that you can doubt. There are a lot of questions you can have. I mean, even as it relates to things in the church that have more, more historical facts that maybe we didn't know before. And we're kind of like, wait a second, that's not how I was brought up. That's not the story I was told. You know what I mean? Like, why'd they leave that weird detail out? You know, I know that this book has triggered people like that. And so I just want to offer love and understanding and compassion. And as each of us go through this transitional time where more is revealed to us, 
um, and, and just have more love for even those who created or, you know, created documents about it and, and had journal entries about it and then maybe didn't have certain journal entries that they left out, you know? I mean, I don't know why people did that. I don't know why certain things are revealed and brought into a bright light and other things are kind of left in the shadows. It's, it's probably cultural. It's probably their own misunderstanding or inability to bring everything to the light. You know, I think if everything was brought to light in our minds, our, we would be, our minds would be blown. The Lord can't reveal all those things to us. But I love what you said about having hope and trust that, that all things will be revealed to us and that we can stay faithful and, and stay in that peace with the Lord. It's so important. I know it's what each of us are seeking. So I invite you to have more hope and ask for more peace in your life as you study the gospel, as you remember who you are in this living church. It's a beautiful thing to be a part of. And we're so grateful to be on this journey with you and just want to share our testimonies of the restored gospel of Jesus Christ. We know that it is true and that you are our sisters and that you play such an important role in all of this with us. So please stay with us in love and light and we'll uh, look forward to connecting with you again soon. Bye-bye. Bye everybody.